Welcome to episode three of The Plot, brought to you by Odessa Steps Magazine and the When It Was Cool Network. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine and the Winter Palace Podcast. Today, we're going to look at some spy-themed Silver Age comics, one short-lived series, and one very special adaptation. First up is Secret Six, a seven-issue series from DC Comics that ran from May 1968 to May 1969. The issues were written by E. Nelson Bridwell and Joe Gill, and the series was drawn by Frank Springer and Jack Sparling. We're only discussing this version of the book and these characters, not the versions that were in Action Comics Weekly in 1988, and none of the versions that came later that were written by Gail Simone starting in 2005. So who are the Secret Six? It's a team of highly skilled operatives brought together to undergo covert missions. If that sounds familiar, you guessed it. This series comes only a few years after the start of the Mission Impossible television show, which we discussed in issue one. So who's on the team? They are scientist August Durant. Escape artist, Carlo Dorenzi. Model, Crimson Dawn. And boy, doesn't that sound like Sim and Carter. Stuntman, King Savage. Makeup artist, Lily Deneuve. And former boxer, Tiger Force, now known as Mike Tempest. And boy, if there isn't a great 60s spy name, Mike Tempest. Their leader is the mysterious Mockingbird, who has brought the team together, but through nefarious means. Each member of the team has a dark secret Mockingbird knows about and is using that information as leverage to keep them on the team. But who is Mockingbird? We don't know at the start, we don't know at the end, and we'll get to that after we finish talking about the books. Each issue also features a Mission Impossible-style briefing at the beginning, although fortunately not explodes. And the plots are about as crazy as you'd expect from 1960 spy stories. We only have seven issues, so let's look at their plots. Issue 1. The team must stop a mad scientist that has invented a device that will suffocate people by removing the oxygen from the air. And he even has an impregnable island supervillain hideout. Issue 2 involves the team stealing plans for an experimental plane from the Pentagon. Issue 3 finds the team targeted for assassinations by an organization with ties to one of the group. Issue 3 also sees the debut of new artist Jack Sparling. Issue 4 sees the team trying to get a general out of China who again has ties to one of the group. Issue 5 finds the gang going up against a jewel thief that just happens to be Cinnamon's ex-husband. Issue 6 finds a murder committed in Lily's health spa, and the team has to find the killer and clear her name. And in the last issue, Issue 7, a hitman captures Carlo and tortures him for information while the others try to find him before it's too late. And that's it. No Issue 8, no postscript, no the team guest appears in Justice League or Brave and the Bold or anything like that to tie up any loose ends. 
And you may be wondering, the biggest loose end of all, who was Mockingbird? We are teased throughout the series that one of them is secretly Mockingbird. We never see them in person. We only see them via video slash film slash audio recording. And as far as we know, Nelson Bridwell never revealed in public who Mockingbird was. He apparently told some DC creators secretly who Mockingbird was years later, but they were sworn to secrecy, and to the best of my knowledge, have never revealed that fact. There have been a number of speculations over the years on who Mockingbird could be. Lots of people seem to think it was Durant. In fact, when Martin Pascal revived The Secret Six in 1986, you know the series we said we weren't going to talk about, uh, he said Durant was Mockingbird. But we were told that Bridwell told people that Durant was not Mockingbird. He would not say who it was, but he was at least willing to say who it was not. Supposedly there are clues. Uh, there's an article you can read online where the author talked to one of the people who supposedly knows the secret and which wouldn't give it up, but did tell them there was a clue hidden in an issue. That, again leads you to speculate, but as there is no definitive answer. As we mentioned, the team did come back briefly in 1986 in the Action Comet Weekly series, only to be killed off in the first issue. Uh, much like the original cast of Mission Impossible was going to be killed off in the first Tom Cruise movie before they decided to rewrite it. The original Secret Six team did, however, make an appearance in recent years, and of all places, the very criminally underrated series Scooby-Doo Team-Up. If you're a fan of old-school comic books, that is a great series to read. Um, they make an appearance with a number of other 60s DC teams in that issue, so check that out if you are so interested. Throughout the course of the series, Bridwell and Gill have some interesting set pieces that they put the team in, and Springer in the first couple issues, and Spradlin later, do have some interesting design choices. There are some very interesting looking uh, splash pages that the kind you didn't still see very often in the late Silver Age, especially at DC, where they were finally beginning to get away from the sort of 50s house style and be a little more experimental. Secret Six may also be known still for the cover to issue one, which features a car breaking through a billboard, which was actually the first page of the story. When you open up this, the comic, this cover page is actually page two. That was something fairly unique at the time that still hasn't really been done very much since. And that's it for The Secret Six. There unfortunately is no trade paperback of the seven issues from the Silver Age, the issues, however, aren't really terribly expensive, all things considered, for Silver Age comics. You can probably pick up reading copies for all seven issues online for under $100. Up next, something a little more familiar than a slightly obscure 1960s DC comics. We're staying at DC, but we're something a little more high profile. <laughs> Thank you. 
What's less obscure than the Secret Six? Oh, I don't know. How about a guy named Bond, James Bond? Since the mid-1950s, Showcase Comics had been DC's experimental title, where they launched characters every few months to see how they were garnered by the public and if they deserved their own title. That's, of course, the home of the Silver Age Flash, the Silver Age Green Lantern, the Silver Age Adam, and a number of fairly recognizable characters that will become important parts of the DC mythos. So how does James Bond end up being published in issue 43 of Showcase, in between two issues of Tommy Tomorrow of the Planeteers? Let's go back to October of 1962, which is when Dr. No first released in British cinemas. This is, of course, the first Bond movie starring Sean Connery and launched the spy boom that basically this pod is celebrating. While you may have heard of this issue of Showcase, you may not know its backstory. It's actually a reprint, although slightly edited, which we'll get to in a second, of, of all things, a British classic illustrated comics from December of 1962. For the kids out there listening, Classics Illustrated was a series of comic books published in the United States and over the world, which were basically adaptations of famous novels. They were famously what kids used to read in order to not actually have to read the books for school. While the comic is credited to Ian Fleming, it was actually adapted by illustrator... Norman Nodell. And the cover to that issue, number 158A, if you're playing along at home, features Dr. No, Joseph Wiseman, over top of a picture of Bond and presumably Quarrel fighting the tank that is disguised as a dragon on Dr. No's island. The adaptation is fairly consistent with the original script although some characters have been changed and some have been dropped, including Sylvia Trench, which means we miss out on this scene in the comic. I admire your courage, Miss... Uh... Trench. Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck, Mr... Bond. James Bond. We also lose the scene in the nightclub with the woman photographer and of all things they change how Dr. No dies at the end when he is electrocuted instead of being drowned. So the time comes for Classics Illustrated to possibly publish Dr. No in the United States but as we said they were in the market of producing quote-unquote educational comics and decided to pass on Dr. No. The rights instead went to Independent News, who at the time were the owners of DC Comics. And so, in January of 1963, cover dated March-April 1963, we get Showcase number 43, featuring Dr. No and James Bond, with a new cover by Bob Brown replacing the Classics Illustrated cover. The funny thing is, the film is not actually out in the United States yet. The film does not open here until May of 1963. 
So while James Bond is relatively known to the public, the novels have been out for quite a while, the film is not out, and you have comics, which of course are still mainly targeted at kids in the 60s. Sales are disappointing, and DC never makes another James Bond comic. Although they have the rights for 10 years, and right at the end of 10 years, this is what we almost got. We almost got a DC comic of James Bond, written by Alex Toth and drawn by Jack Kirby. Just imagine what that could have been like. We mentioned there were other changes to the DC adaptation of Dr. No, and the two biggest ones involve coloring. The first minor, the first major. In the relatively minor, although slightly nitpicky category, the famous bikini worn by Ursa Andres as she comes out of the ocean while they are playing underneath the mango tree is white, as we all remember, but in the comics is red. The other, co the other coloring issue is a little more interesting. The black characters in the film, including mainly Quarrel, Jack Lord's CIA assistant who helps Bond and Honey Rider on the island, has been recolored. In fact, all of the black characters in the comic, Quarrel, the Three Blind Mice, and assorted other ones, uh, are now white. The popular theory as to why they did this is that it was still the early 60s and fears were that perhaps distributors in the South may not carry the comic if it featured black characters. 1963, remember folks. The interesting thing about that is that Dr. No himself, although played by Canadian Joseph Wiseman, is supposed to be half Chinese, half German, and was modeled by Ian Fleming after Dr. Fu Manchu, has the same skin tone as the other Caucasian characters in the story, and is not given the yellow tint as was often given to Asian characters in 1950s comics, most notably the Yellow Claw for Marvel, again, another Dr. Fu Manchu analog. Another reason this may have been seen as a losing proposition for DC is that it's a 32-page comic with no ads, a very rare thing in the Silver Age. As you might imagine, for a collectible from the very beginning of Bond mania over 60 years ago, this is not easy to find, especially in good condition. A few years ago, a 9.6 graded copy was sold by Heritage Auctions for $5,500. While it pales in comparison to the sales of Showcase 4 and other key issues, it's still quite expensive. I can tell you, as a teenager and young adult, it took me years to finally get a very, very, very poor copy. And even then, it was expensive. I don't think I ever actually saw a copy of the book in person until the first time I went to San Diego Comic-Con in the mid-1990s. And as far as I know, it's never been reprinted. I did some quick Googling, and I didn't see anything. So if you want to read it, hint, hint, you'll probably be paying at least a pretty penny to get your own copy. Thanks for listening. Before we go, I want to give a shout out to 
super brain extraordinaire Mark Wade who helped me with some of the research for this. Make sure to buy Mark's comics. He's currently doing the Batman Superman World's Finest book at DC and his big fancy irredeemable deluxe edition library trilogy is still being kickstarted and has two weeks to go although I believe it was funded in the first day. But if you were a fan of Irredeemable and those books in that series, make sure to check that out. We'll be back soon. I believe we will be doing something new again for the next issue, a genre that we have not hit upon yet. Thanks for listening. Remember, uh, listen to the other podcasts if you're listening at When It Was Cool dot com and listen to our podcasts over at the Winter Palace, we just did a show with Chris P. Lettuce talking about the 80s and 90s independent wrestling that he has just put up on his YouTube channel. And it's already our biggest download of the year after being up less than a week. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) 